Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Woods. Putting STEM into every classroom, every day. Hi there, and welcome again to another great episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. And today, I'm Chris Woods, and I get the chance to introduce you to Leah Malshore. Welcome, Leah, to the show. Well, thank you, Chris. It's uh, it's really great to have you on because you're part of a, a company called Goldenrod Research, which right away, let me tell everybody, goldenrodresearch.com. That's where you can find out about it. And they do awesome stuff helping bring robotics into the classroom. Uh, tell us a little bit about, Leah, how did this start? How did you come up with the idea to, to do some stuff like this? Well, it goes back quite a few years to about 19, oh, the early 90s. And uh, uh, my husband and the partner in the business who founded Goldenrod with me uh, was playing with the Edmund Scientific Catalog one day. And he saw this toy robot that, uh, and he said, you know, you could you hook that up to a computer and, and, and really do some, uh, some good things with it. And... Uh, it would take some modifications. You'd have to put electronics in the robot. But, gee, the little robot is so cute. So that's how that's, that's where we started and looking at how that could be used to teach math in an applied way. That's, so that's it amazing. was really a, a catalog. He said, well, he saw the robot and being a, um, a, a design engineer, he saw right away all the math you know, implications for it. And I was uh, a former teacher. And uh, I, I guess I got it second, but <laughs> he was the one who had to, you know, he understood immediately all the different uh, math that was that could be demonstrated so so well. And I guess what makes it cool is it's not just learning the math, but seeing how these basic math skills that we all pick up, we all are exposed to anyway, in elementary and, and middle school are. Um, Applied, and they're applied by engineers every day. Uh, he told me in, in developing uh, uh, the, the Robo Arm, which is a programmable robot, he said only that he only used calculus once, and that was in, in figuring out how to compensate for the you know inertia and keep the arm moving at the same speed no matter how much weight it was holding. He said that was it. The rest of it, he said, is middle school math, algebra one maybe, which which is now being taught in middle schools. So, um, so yeah. I guess it's a, it, it's humbling, I think, to think about the fact that if we could really assimilate the math that we learn in elementary and middle school, um, we would be very well equipped to go, uh, to go into higher level math studies. And, and, and so far, I mean, you guys over the, over the years, um, especially the last 20 years where, where you've had what's called the Youth Touch program, which you can find out about on the website, and we'll, we'll chat with about in a minute. Um, but but these programs have, have been put into many different schools, uh, even in challenger centers, uh, which are uh, run by NASA, where kids can interact with. And it, and in, like you said, it's a robot, which we first think robots and we first think engineering. But like you said, it's a lot of math, even like you said. Very lower level math, which makes it real to a kid. Sometimes 
I've, I've noticed kids if they if they just see math on a paper, that's one thing. But if they can they can touch, feel, interact with that math, that's different. And I think like the rest of us, they want to know why am I spending my time on this? What's in this for me? And I had a little boy one time after he was working with the Tempest and the Robowasi for a while, and he came back and he said, you know, these angles could help me with video games. <laughs> and and I said, you know, yeah, you're right. Because for a child to think about, you know, someday you might want to go to college and you might want to do this. And he's in the, he's, he's 11. This yeah. is, this is way too far in the future to really think about. Yeah. Um, so, oh, go ahead. So you're, you're, your robots, you know, I mean, it's a, it's, it's like a one-arm uh, robot, five axes. It looks uh -huh. like. It looks like the kind of thing that you have there in Michigan and Detroit, working in a, uh, only a small version, working in the manufacturing cars. And and I think right now there's a there's a huge emphasis on on robotics and robots, and and we often see news stories all the time about robotics being used. We hear stories about about robots going to be working right next to our students when they grow up and, and uh -huh. in an industry. Um, and you guys started this, this years ago, I mean, really before STEM was even an acronym. It, there was, yes, there was no STEM. We had, we searched for a, a, a word to, or a term to call it, and we called, came up with technology integration. Um, and it was hard to explain at first that the technology was not something you did in technology class. It should be integrated and infused throughout the curriculum. I used to uh, tell teachers, you don't go have robot time on Fridays any more than you have globe time on, on, on a certain day of the week. If it's appropriate to use the globe to, to teach this lesson, then you go over and you look at the globe or the map. If it's appropriate to use a robot to help demonstrate or give better understanding, then you use a robot. You know, um, when computers first came into the classroom, it was the same thing. Um, we had computer time. And then we started to realize that they're a tool. And they're used when it's appropriate to use that tool. And so. So now, now uh, in schools, um, uh -huh. people will people will put maybe some in a classroom, but but maybe more often they're in a lab because you know if it's in a lab, then then a variety of different students or classes could go and use it, much like a like a computer lab. Yes, that's how I would say. Ninety-five percent of the schools have their equipment set up in a lab format, and the classes go two of them. And, and they are used, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Um, we are starting to see the movement as STEM has evolved into STEAM and STEAM into STREAM, where reading is being added. I'm yep. waiting for it to be streams next with social <laughs> studies on the end. Um, we're seeing uh, teachers in very, more different disciplines, um, seeing how this, uh, th their implications for them and how they can do in social studies more numeracy and reinforce what's happening in the math class, um, and that there's more co cooperation between the teachers of different disciplines. And there's a there's a lot of I mean, especially you think uh, social studies where where you're looking at at grids, whether it's latitude and longitude or on a map, um, right. that involves that those mathematical skills. You're looking at tables and charts or mm -hmm. graphs of mm -hmm. information, um, and, and that's and that's that mathematical thinking as well. Um, I know maker spaces are, are becoming more popular too, so I'm, I'm sure that you know having a, a robotic arm 
uh, working in a, in a maker space would also be a, a neat new venture probably for some schools as well. We're starting to hear people say that they're going to be putting it in their maker space, and I, I'm eager to hear how they use them and, and how that's different from doing the other activities. Um, I'm hoping we'll see some new applications where the robot is used to say, uh, for the students to simulate a manufacturing process. So, them, so instead of just using making something on the uh, their three, what do you call it, their three D printer? Is that what the, I forget? The three D printer. They have the robot picks up the materials and rolls it down an incline to them where they pick it up and then you know to simulate how they would how they would do this in a production. Yeah, or, or even, I'm thinking aspect. even a lot of a lot of maker spaces. You know, the kids are gluing stuff together. Uh -huh. and, those pieces together. If they could, if they could program that robotic arm to put some of those pieces together. Right. Well, adding that one extra step, because, because frankly, I mean, robotics is is this thing, you know, of the future. We see it. You know, companies are adding robotics all the time to their processes and manufacturing. And you know, it's the robotics is of the future for sure. But I guess one of the things that struck me the most profoundly was the day I had the aha experience um, and realized that what students were learning when they are learning to program and code, and especially the debugging part of coding, what they're learning is exactly the skills that I was learning, not exactly, but the same skills at heart that I was learning when I had to take Latin in high school. Oh. And I said, I get it. <laughs> for the first time, I understand why they did that. It's the mental discipline. It's the fact that you obey a set of rules. And if you can accept those strictures rigidly, yeah. you can be as creative as you want inside of them. And that's something that it, it um, inspires, I think, a kind of mental discipline that is extremely beneficial. And the debugging process is extremely, must be done very methodically. So. Um, it's a very disciplined uh, uh, skill. Wow. And so here, I was going to say, so here we are almost 80 episodes into the history of the, the STEM Everyday <laughs> podcast, and this is the first time we've had someone compare coding and debugging to Latin class. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, I've, I went many years, 40-some years, wondering why did they make me take Latin? <laughs> and when the light bulb went on, I, I was like, wow. And, you know, I think it's important for teachers, STEM, teachers who are teaching STEM, to ask themselves, why am I teaching the kids this? Yeah. Every time they come to a new activity, say, what's the point of this? And there is a point, um, but you, sometimes you don't know. And, and if you don't know, that's when you ask somebody or Google it or something. Exactly. <laughs> because there is an application. And I think we've um, uh, not connected the dots. Uh, uh, sufficiently, because sometimes the dots weren't connected for us. Over the generations, some of the connections have gotten broken, and, and I think that reconnecting them is, is so important. Yeah, as a, as a teacher, I mean, we all need to be, be taking every opportunity. You know, when a kid says, why are we doing this? You know, if we haven't thought that through at the start, we're not going to have an answer, and, and then that kid is, is going to lose the motivation. They're not going to have any motivation. You know, I think one of the important things about the Youth Touch program is we hear a lot about how exciting robotics is and how engaging for kids. And I agree that the kids need to be excited about STEM and about math. Um, or if you don't have their engagement, 
you've got nothing. You have to build from that. But beyond having kids who are interested in a career in STEM, you have to have kids who have the foundations to pursue one. Yeah. Even, you know, even no matter how much they like it, they have to have some basic foundations. And if we miss this opportunity in, in elementary school, it's very, very hard to remediate later. And, and really, your program really looks at, at trying to hit those upper elementary grades um, with, with STEM and robotics. Um, you, you, you try to keep the cost down. I mean, for a, for a single robotic arm with a joystick, it's about $800, 2000 if it's, if it's programmable one. Programmable well, we computer. And then you got bigger packages and stuff. Um, yeah, the, full the set. whole youth, right. The whole youth touch package is is expensive it's nineteen thousand seven hundred dollars but it has four robo uh, four programmable robots four joystick robots the tempest table uh, two hydrolifts which is the fluid power equipment two hydro uh, hydrolift squared and um, two robo views which is a camera a little infrared sensitive camera that goes on the robots and but we have a matching grant program um, which we run three times a year and our newest round just opened uh, last week on September the 15th to October the 30th. And if a school is interested in Youth Touch, we strongly suggest they apply for the matching grant. Worry about the money later, but the matching grant would cover half the cost, bringing the half that's left to 9850, which is a lot more reasonable. And yeah. it's a lot of equipment. I mean, it's hundreds of pounds worth of equipment. It's yeah, enough it to sounds, fill up a lab. And, and I can imagine too. Uh, you know, almost every almost every school is is nearby uh, some sort of a, a manufacturing company, um, an engineering company, and, and talking with a with a local company like that. I mean, that would be great publicity for them to say, "Here, we're giving this this whole set of, of robotics." Um, if if a, a local business like that was to to do something like yeah, that, that, as well has, that, that has happened. Uh... That has happened. I, I can think right off the top that Johnson Controls bought a, a youth touch system for the local school because they went and asked them and talked to them about it. And there's no publicity like uh, like that kind of good publicity in a school. So. Um, as, as you think about STEM and, and robotics, and um, we've, we've come so far with that acronym, as, as we said, it, it, I'm trying to remember you said that, that technology... Um, Integration? Technology integration, right. And so now we're at that point, and we even see a focus now on CTE skills, you know, where you, uh -huh. um, everybody's talking about welding again and, and uh -huh. all these other aspects as well. Any, any guesses about the future? What do you think, what do you think uh, our, our STEM and, and education is going to go from here? Is it just going to drift off as a, as a buzzword? I, or? I hope not. You know, there have been... There have been so many buzzwords over the years that that that, that I, I I hope not. Um, I think we um, we have to maybe mature in our understanding of what STEM is, and I think a lot about the sign that what the letters stand for, and and really what does technology and what does engineering mean, especially from students who are the ages of like you know nine to to, to twelve or thirteen. Oh, yeah. What does that mean? And you're teaching engineering in the, for fifth graders. And I think um, it's just a, um, a hands-on and attractive approach um, to, to traditional teaching. We're teaching problem solving. We're teaching them to apply the skills that they're learning. 
the basics in the math book, things like adding algebraically, using ratios, estimating, those things are not going away. But how can we deliver them in the best way possible? When the only medium we had was a pencil and paper or a blackboard, then that's the medium you had to use. And only those students could learn it easily who are visual kinds of learners and work with pencil and paper well. Um, my dad told me a story. This would go back to 19, he was born in 1913. So when he was started first grade, it had been about, you know, the First World War would have just been over. And he said yeah. that paper was very expensive and that it was really a big deal. Now, he would have had to hear the adults talking about this because he wouldn't have known that it was really a big deal that his class, his first grade class, was the first one that got their own personal erasable slates. Okay. <laughs> and I suppose look, I can imagine them having a technology night at the school and all the parents coming to see the individual erasable slates. Yeah. And, and I realized that what it meant was that students could now write themselves and learn by writing their times tables repetitively and erase it and do it themselves instead of having to learn by a mnemonic device, you know, singing your times tables to learn them. And that there were many more students now, since we've now involved another sense, um, who, who could learn this than those who just were good at learning by listening. And um, every time we can engage children in with more of their senses and more um, of their emotions, uh, more of the whole person, um, the better, not just the better students can learn, but the more students that can learn well. Students who have different learning styles. Um, and technology enables us, I think that's the, the best thing that technology does, is it brings um, this opportunity to, to more students because it it's, has a different ways of presenting the information. You can touch it, you can feel it. There are a number of what many, now I don't have, you know, scientific proof for this, but I have anecdotal information from teachers all over the country that what shocks them the most is how children who are not the stars of the traditional classroom may emerge as strong in math when they are doing things that are hands-on. They have good uh, spatial skills, but they don't like sitting down at their desk. They don't hmm. like focusing on pencil and paper. and uh, that that it's surprising to some of the students who are high performers that this is harder for them than, than <laughs> they thought it would be, harder for them than doing it uh, the traditional way. But there are other kids who, um, who emerge as stars in the uh, classroom with this. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and sometimes when a kid has to work extra hard at something, boy, that, that really makes it sink in. Or a kid that's had it be easy for them all along and then have something that's tough, that, that, can really, uh, that can really be a great thing. Well, uh, Leah Melshore uh, from Goldenrod Research, I've, I've got to say thank you so much. It's, uh, it's great hearing about, about the things you guys are doing and the things you're providing for, for many schools. And, um, sounds like a really neat opportunity, especially if, you know, if someone can, can take advantage of some of the grants that you guys have available. And you guys will know year round. I would tell that any school that's interested, you know, if you look at it and you say, this is something I really want, really don't think about the money. Think about getting your application in. And we'll be sure you get it. We have a gentleman who works with us during the grant round. He's a retired uh, educator, and he helps people with the grant round. So 
so you wouldn't don't worry about it and if you get it and you say okay well we got the we, we wrote the grant we wrote a good one and he helped you think through all the issues like ongoing staff development and sustainability and variety of important management issues um you say well we still don't have the money yeah then you we have the opportunity to to fund a foundation or a corporation to supply the the other part of the funds because you've done the hard work already that's great that's great so Lee Melshore, uh, thanks again. Thanks for the great stuff that you guys are doing at Goldenrod Research. Uh, check them out, goldenrodresearch.com. And appreciate having you on the show. Thank you, Chris. This was very, very enjoyable. Thank you very it, much. It was, it was great hearing about uh, about the stuff there. And as always, check out all the great uh, podcasts on remarkablechatter.com. And we'll talk to you again next time. You're listening to this podcast on the ESDAC Broadcasting Network. To find more information about this or other podcast shows, please visit RemarkableChatter.com.